0: And we move right to the message this morning. Uh, The text is printed for you on the website. Uh, You can scroll down and see it there. We are in Romans chapter 15 this morning. One might expect that I would be addressing the coronavirus this morning. However, I will not be deviating from my series on the book of Romans. We have been working through Romans verse by verse, and I continue that pattern this morning. I believe that there is a, a lesson to be learned in that, and that is that the best way to be prepared for life's uncertainties and the situations that we face is through a thorough grounding in our understanding of the Word of God. And there is no better way to get that grounding than through a faithful reading, meditation upon the scriptures uh, as we think through verse by verse what God's word has to tell us about our relationship to him and our relationship to others. So we continue on this morning in Romans chapter 15. As we think about this great passage, we need to understand that sin divides us and true righteousness reunites us. Sin brought a division between Adam and Eve. Sin brought a division between Cain and Abel. And sin brought a division among the nations at the Tower of Babel. But righteousness reunites. The gospel is to be the healing of relationships. Healing of marriages. Healing of relationships with parent and children and even the healing of relationships among the nations. Last week, the key verse was Romans 15, verse 7, which reads, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. There we saw that it was the obligation, the duty, the responsibility of the people of God to welcome into their midst people that were quite different from what they were. Different religious backgrounds, different understandings, and different religious convictions. But they were to welcome them, even as Christ has welcomed us. Today, the key verses are Romans fifteen eight and 9. I tell you, That Christ has become a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. The theme this morning is the blessings that come to the Jewish people through the Messiah were to extend to all nations, bringing them to worship God for His mercy. Let me say that again. The blessings that come to the Jewish people through the Messiah were to extend to all nations, bringing them to worship God for His mercy. So our first point this morning is the promises regarding salvation that were given to the fathers included all the nations. If you look at verse 8 of chapter 15, it reads, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, and now these words, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. We are in a portion of the book of Romans that is applicational in nature. The applications of chapters 12 and following flow out of the doctrinal truth that is delineated in chapters 1 through 11. So this morning, I'm going to take some time to review what Romans has taught us concerning the promises of God that were given to the patriarchs of the Old Testament as seen in the earlier chapters of Romans. So we're going to work our way backwards through Romans to review what God says about these promises that were given to the patriarchs. I start by looking at Romans 9. I invite you to turn there with me. And I'll give you a few moments uh, to uh, find that in your Bibles. Romans chapter 9. the giving of the law, the worship, and now notice these words, and the promises. To them, that is the promises, belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all the children of Abraham, because they are offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And now these words. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So Romans chapter 9 teaches us that the promises are directed to not the physical descendants, but the spiritual descendants of Abraham, those who have faith. For notice later in Romans chapter 9, verse 22, it says this, What if God, I'm in Romans 9, 22, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory, For vessels of mercy, which is prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed, he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And? In the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. So moving still backwards through Romans, we are instructed concerning the promise that God gave to Abraham. Abraham was to be a father of all who would believe. Look with me at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And I will start reading at verse 11. (coughs) Romans chapter 4, verse 11. He, that is Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who would believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. (coughs) Excuse me, would you get me some? (coughs) Excuse me. At this point, let me say to those of you that are listening online, if you are not accustomed I often have these coughing fits while I am preaching, so it doesn't say anything about my health today. So don't, don't be alarmed. It's just an issue that I face continually. B, the Abrahamic covenant or promise is alluded to. If you look at verse 17, it says, As is written, I have made you a father of many nations. So that Abraham was not just the father of the Israelites, but he was to be the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. This is a quotation from Genesis chapter 12. The Abrahamic covenant, in which God says to Abraham, in, uh, Romans, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Moving still earlier in the book of Romans, we are introduced to the scope of the gospel, which includes both Jews and Gentiles. In Romans chapter 1, verses 14 to 17, Paul writes, I am under obligation both to the Greeks... And to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteous shall live by faith. But notice, It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So in Romans chapter 15, when it's talking about this promise that is given to the patriarchs, it is clear that he's referring to a promise that includes both Jew and Gentile. And secondly, we find that there's a great purpose in this promise, for the gospel is that all people would glorify God for his great mercy. Now back to our text in Romans 15:9. Romans 15:9, and in order that the gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Once again earlier in Romans, we are instructed that all people were viewed as sinners and in need of salvation so that God's mercy would be known by all. Romans eleven thirty and following. For just as you, referring to the Jewish people, were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too, referring to the Gentiles, have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy, for God is consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. So this mercy that God gives in saving us from our sin is to be realized and experienced by all peoples who place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here we come to the application of the truth that all nations are included in the gospel. What are we to learn from that? How are we to respond to that truth as it's found in this text? There's many responses that we could have, but we want to focus on what is in our text as the appropriate response. And if you remember, the, the big arching section here is in welcoming one another as a people of God without disputes without quarrels. So the application is that we are to be worshiping God together as one people. That our ethnicity, our backgrounds, our cultural differences should be overlooked and the fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ, would trump everything. So in Romans chapter 15, verse 9, it says, And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, I will praise you among the Gentiles, and sing to your name. Now there are four Old Testament references that are cited in our text. These four references are a mere sampling of a plethora of verses that speak of the Jews and Gentiles as worshipping God together. In these four citations of Old Testament passage given to us in Romans chapter 15, there are two specific ideas that are stressed. The first idea that is stressed is that the idea of Jews and Gentiles worshipping together is not new or novel, nor is it foreign to the teaching of the Old Testament, but rather, time and time again, the scriptures speak of Jews and Gentiles worshipping together. Starting at verse 9, notice... And in order the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And now these words, as it is written. And then you have the Old Testament citation. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Verse 10. And again it is said. And then the Old Testament citation. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Verse 11. And again. Then the Old Testament citation. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And then verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in whom the Gentiles hope. So the emphasis is that time and time and time again, we are given these citations that tell us the Jew and Gentile are to worship. God, together. The emphasis is again, and again, and again, and again. And we could easily go on with again, and again, and again, and again, with a plethora of verses. These are just four citations to demonstrate what is ubiquitously taught through the Old Testament. The second emphasis and it is what we want to stress this morning, is that together the Jews and the Gentiles will praise God for his mercy to them. That together they are to be worshiping. And when we think of Gentiles, we're thinking about peoples of all nations. It's everyone who wasn't of a Jewish background. So we're talking about peoples of all ethnicities, Around the world, are to be worshiping God together as one people. The emphasis is the togetherness. So again, looking at these verses, the first Old Testament allusion is given in Romans 15:9, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as written. Therefore, I will praise you, and I would encourage you to circle or underline the word among. Among the Gentiles. I will praise you among the Gentiles, in the midst of the Gentiles. Together we will praise you. This is a citation of Psalm 18. Which reads as follows For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. And included in that offspring, you see, are the Gentiles. The second Old Testament allusion is given in verse 10. Again, it is said, Rejoice, and Gentiles. And now this simple little uh, conjunction with his people. With his people. That together, Jew and Gentiles would be rejoicing. This is an allusion to Deuteronomy chapter 32, which is the Song of Moses. Now the ESV translates Deuteronomy 32, 43 quite differently uh, I won't get into the textual issues of that, but rather just simply say that by this New Testament citation, we know how this verse should be translated, and it is the way which the NSA, the, the New American Standard Bible translates it, which is as follows. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will agend the blood of his servants and will render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and for his people. So these Gentiles are identified as a part of his people. The third Old Testament allusion is given in verse 11. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. All the peoples, Gentiles. Everyone. Psalm 117, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. And so this gospel is to be disseminated throughout the entire world. Jesus said to his disciples, All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And in that discipling of all nations, it is to be a coming together to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ and worshiping him together. The fourth Old Testament allusion is given to us in Romans 15:12. Again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. This is a quotation of Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. The thought is that the Messiah will come from the descendants of Jesse, that is ultimately through David, that God will have mercy on the Gentiles and grant them deliverance. Isaiah eleven ten. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So what should our response be? You know, this can seem so distant from us. Uh, We are kind of removed from the whole uh, Gentile-Jew dilemma as it relates to unity in the life of the church. So what's the application for us today? Well, first of all, all peoples are to place their hope in the Lord, if you look at verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is directly related to the context of Romans fifteen four, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance, And through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope that we would endure in our walk with the Lord, that we would endure and persevere in our relationships to our brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what the difference is, no matter how different our cultural backgrounds are, no matter what convictions we may share in common or not share in common, our mutual commitment the Lordship of Jesus Christ, is to sustain us in times of difficulty and hardship. Still earlier in Romans, it said in Romans chapter 8 and following, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. (coughs) Wait for it with patience. It is referring to our salvation in its ultimate and complete sense. It's referring to our resurrection. It's for our being in the presence of God together. That is our hope. That one day we will be with the Lord Jesus Christ and reign for Him with him forever and ever. And a significant part of that hope is it's not just our individual being. With Jesus. It's not just that our relatives are with Jesus or our friends are with Jesus, but there will be a people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation in the presence of Jesus. And we will be worshiping Him together with one voice in perfect peace. In perfect joy, in perfect acceptance of one another, rejoicing in the mercy of God in saving us. This hope is to result in joy and peace that is mutually shared. Look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you, and the you is plural, fill all of us with all joy and peace. In believing. In believing in Jesus Christ, we are to have joy and we're to have peace. In the context, that joy and that peace is in our worshiping together. We are to be joyfully worshiping with those that are perhaps quite different from us. And we're to be worshiping in peace, in contentment, in acceptance of one another, of encouraging one another for that is the fruit of this hope the joy and the peace comes in worshiping as a body of Christ we are to experience joy and peace as we come together this morning we have a tremendous example through personal experience that the worship of God is perfected in our meeting together in joy and peace. I am thankful for the technology that we have. I am grateful for Pastor Dave and all the work that he's put into that has allowed us to be able to do this message online. But certainly, listening to a message online pales in comparison to being a part of a real, vital worship service in which we are gathered together with brothers and sisters of like precious faith. Individual worship cannot replace corporate worship. True worship is to recognize what God has done for me, he has done for others. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he didn't just die to save me, he died to save a people. And in saving a people, he has brought us together. We are a family, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And everyone who knows Jesus is our Savior is a part of that family and is to be treated as such and to be welcomed as such and the joy and the peace that that results. You know, our, our world is so divided today. It would be wonderful if more and more people came to a saving knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ that would break down the barriers that exist among us. Part of that worshiping together is to be sensitive to our brothers and sisters around the world, not just to our missionary families, but all who name the name of Christ. There are so many places around this world that this morning are so worse off than we are as we think about this virus, as we think about the limitations they're experiencing, as we think about the deaths that have occurred and the grieving of of families, Part of this ability to welcome one another is to be able to identify and empathize and sympathize with brothers and sisters of like precious faith who find it to be uh, stressful and in situations that are far worse than our own. And may this morning's exercise help us to better appreciate the freedoms that we enjoy, and the opportunity to worship together. And you think about places around this world in which it is forbidden, not for health reasons, but for persecution reasons, for opposition to the gospel, that people have to gather together clandestine in fear of the government. Now, this morning, this isn't a result of persecution. This is a result of a disease that is is present. But may it give us a better appreciation for the joy that we have of being able to worship together as a people of God. So, in conclusion, all of us stand in need of God's mercy. All people everywhere And we're to extend the mercy that we have received to others wherever the gospel is being received. We are to glorify God collectively for the mercy that he has shown to us. Glorifying God is not simply in what we say. Glorifying God is in the way that we act. The way that we act is to be reconciled to one another as a result of the gospel, As I said, sin divides. The gospel reunites. So let it begin. In our own personal relationships, may we not let petty differences divide us. May we not let hurts, grievances, bring a division among the people of God. May we recognize that our greatest source of commitment to one another is in our personal relationship to Jesus Christ. You've heard the statement, blood is thicker than water. Well, this morning I would say to you, faith is thicker than blood. That our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important unifying factor that there is. In light of that truth, may we have hope not just in our relationships with those that are closest to us, but even those that are distant from us, whether that be in locale or in conviction, but if they're brothers and sisters in Christ, may we rejoice in a hope, a future hope, a hope in when we are standing around the throne of God, that we, with one voice, from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation are going to be giving glory to God and serving him together. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your great grace and goodness to us. I pray that you would give us a a real genuine concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, wherever they are, I pray that because they are your children, We accept them as our brothers and sisters. And Lord, give us a a real, genuine concern for one another. Um, A welcoming spirit. Lord, may we learn from today in the absence that we have as I look out over an empty church, what a joy it is to be able to worship together with people of like precious faith even as your word says, how good and blessed it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Lord, we look forward to that day in which we can gather together collectively once again to worship and honor and glorify you. And I pray that this time of separation will just make our worship all that more glorious and wonderful as we gather together again. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.